Today we're speaking with Elena Como, who is Ishak and who organizes Bulbancha, Decolonized Walk of New Orleans. Elena is an educator and began hosting the walk in this fall after hearing interest from numerous people. Thank you for being with us today, Elena. Thanks for having me. So first off, could you speak a little bit about the Decolonized Walk and how you came to organize it? Sure. So the Decolonized Walk kind of started about four years ago when I was in conversations with a couple of other Native folks in town talking about ways that we could resist the upcoming tricentennial. We already knew with the tricentennial coming up that there would probably be a lot of indigenous erasure uh, in the narrative of the founding of New Orleans. And we started kind of brainstorming ideas that we could do to bring awareness to uh, indigenous people who were here before colonization, during colonization, and are still here today. Um, so I started doing this research over the course of four years and kept putting it off and putting it off, but then a lot of friends and family kept asking me to do this idea and start the walks and present my research. And so finally in September, I made a Facebook event, um, mostly just for my friends and family, and a thousand people signed up for it. <laughs> <laughs> and so now uh, at the end of November, um, we're still doing the walks. Uh, and as long as people are interested, I'll keep doing them. That's awesome. Um, and can you talk a little bit about the significance of the name Bulbancha? Where does that come from? Sure. Um, Bulbancha is actually a Choctaw word. It means place of many tongues. And that was the pre-colonial place name for New Orleans. There's also Balbancha, which is very similar and means the same thing. It's a mobilian jargon word. Um, and this place was called the place of many tongues because... It was always a place with a lot of diversity. It was always a multi-ethnic place. It was always a multilingual place. Uh, there were a lot of groups living in and around this region that would move in and out of this region for trade. Mm -hmm. This was a major trade hub. Um, New Orleans was always a port city, even before it was New Orleans. And so that's what the name really reflects. Mm -hmm. And and you saying that reminds me of something that uh, that I learned on the walk, which was which I now don't remember, which was the the sort of um, uh, a particular indigenous name for what we now call Bayou Saint John. Yes, um, Bayou Saint John was known as Bayou Shupik, which uh, refers to the Shupik fish um, that would have been um, fished by some indigenous groups during that time. Um, in fact, that's where the word Chapatulis comes from. Comes from that Shupik. So it actually refers to, uh, Chapatula specifically refers to like the village of the Shupik, um, which would have been a village of people approximately in the location where Chapatula is now. Whoa, it's so interesting. So there's just these ways that these kind of names filter into, into kind of colonial naming practices, maybe. Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's still a lot of um, not so hidden kind of histories of, you know, traces of indigenous people all over the city. You just... A lot of times it's overlooked because people just don't know. Mm -hmm. So this interview is going to air on Thanksgiving, uh, which is a holiday celebrated, celebrating a romanticized and ahistorical version of European colonization in the Americas. On your walk, I was interested to hear what European encroachment looked like, particularly here. Could you speak a little bit about that? Sure. Um, European encroachment here looked a little different than it did in other places. Um, because this was always a major trade hub, Indigenous people here had a, like a heads up about what was coming. Mm -hmm. They very much knew. And the encroachment was fairly slow initially. 
Um, when Bienville, who is often called the founder of New Orleans, he was governor of Mobile before he actually showed up in New Orleans, or in New Balbancha, I should say. Um, and he was actually sending slave raiders into the area to um, kidnap people mostly from the Chittimacha tribe and force them into slavery. So they kind of, people here had a bit of a, they knew what was coming. Mm -hmm. And so when Bienville actually shows up, um, what he tries to do, because he is so outnumbered by indigenous people in this area, he tries to get in with the tribes. He tries to do the divide and conquer method, where he actually kind of infiltrates the tribes by joining both the Natchez and Choctaw tribes and becoming fully adopted into their cultural traditions. This doesn't really make him like a good guy by any <laughs> means. He was still ultimately just trying to make money for France. Um, but he really wanted to get in with those trade networks mm -hmm. and use them to his benefit. Hmm. And then how did that, I mean, sort of thinking historically too, like as that progressed, like after that time, sort of he signaled for more like French folks to come and try to settle here. Yeah, it did. It slowly did. Eventually, they started bringing in more and more French people. Initially, the group was pretty small, um, though it was kind of like the... I've heard other people call it, like, New Orleans, the Australia mm -hmm. for the French, where for France was not sending uh, their best. Right. They were sending a lot of criminals. They were sending a lot of people um, to inhabit the area. But really, the area remained um, native-dominated well until the 18th century. Over the last few centuries, a lot of work has gone into erasure of indigenous people, as you were just mentioning, uh, from New Orleans landscape and recognized histories. Uh, and, and there's sort of a lot that we could talk about in that regard, but I'm interested, especially in the light of the tricentennial events that you were talking about before, could you talk a little bit about what that erasure looks like today? Uh, definitely. Um, I mean, there's not much when you talk about with all these tricentennial events that are going on, there really is very little mentioned of indigenous people. I've personally attended a lot of tricentennial events and the, the mentions of native people is glazed over at best. Um, and a lot of people just claim they don't know. They don't mm -hmm. know. You know, I went to one event that was talking about women in new Orleans and, um, the woman just who was giving the presentation just was like, oh, well, Native women were here, but we don't know anything about them, uh, which normally just stems from not doing research mm -hmm. on the issue. Um, but so there's just a lot with the tricentennial. Um, there's just this really incorrect narrative that most people have kind of uh, gone with about there just being a few Native people here. Uh, Bienville shows up. They help Bienville for like a couple months and then somehow Bienville figures everything out and they mysteriously vanish. Mm -hmm. uh, and this has really serious consequences for modern Native people existing in the city. Uh, it's really difficult when you constantly have to fight a battle um, of just basic existence, trying to convince people that you exist and your culture still exists in the city. Um, I know I'm a school teacher, so we also, there are very few standards dealing with indigenous people specific to Louisiana. Um, I believe third, eighth, third and eighth grade, they teach Louisiana history here. And there's very few, if any, standards that deal with that. I know for a fact that the Louisiana history textbook even says that all native people were gone from Louisiana by the 1860s. Um, and this is really a really difficult battle to fight just to prove that 
you still exist in mm-hmm. your home mm-hmm. uh, can be incredibly difficult. And something this is reminding me of too that you talked about on the walk uh, and that much has been written about as well is this idea of kind of blood quantum and, and how that plays right. into the construction of race and very much so in Louisiana. Right, definitely. Um, in Louis- well, well, all over the all U.S., over the, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> there definitely. definitely is, like, a problem with blood quantum where it's this idea that to be Native, you have to have a certain amount of Native blood, mm-hmm. um, which is something that in the U.S. only applies, besides applying to Native Americans, only applies to horses and dogs mm-hmm. when you're talking about pedigrees. Um, so to apply that to humans is really... Uh, awful mm-hmm. and demoralizing uh, and dehumanizing literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so it's really problematic and what being indigenous is about really is being a member of a community it's mm-hmm. being part of a culture uh, it's not about necessarily what you look like or how much blood you have it's about actually being a part of a living culture mm-hmm. and uh, and on that note um I, I i'm interested in talking about you know and, and again sort of tying into the idea of this airing on a day where we have a pretty big food-based holiday, <laughs> um, and 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 the idea of food being a pretty big part of culture, you know, and living culture. Um, could you talk a little bit about some of the indigenous foods that uh, you know permeate our lives? Oh, definitely. My last name is Koma, so I like to talk about food. Uh, so, especially when you look at specifically Louisiana culture, when you talk about Cajun and Creole foodways. Uh, those two foodways are overwhelmingly influenced by indigenous people. Um, And that's because when you have Europeans coming in to an area, obviously they're not going to know what to eat. This Mm -hmm. landscape is going to look incredibly different for them. And so they gain that knowledge from native people. So especially today, when you look at, like I said, Louisiana's Cajun and Creole foodways, when you look at a crawfish boil, that is kind of like the epitome of native Mm-hmm. food. <laughs> you know, uh, the crawfish, which is a sacred animal to the Homa, is na- indigenous to this area. Mm-hmm. And the way it's prepared is how Native people would have prepared it. Um, you're going to season it with cayenne and salt, both which are Native to this area. And then you garnish it with corn, potatoes, and smoked sausage, again, which are all Native food ways. Though none of these foods would have existed in Europe before this time. Mm-hmm. Um so all of this is coming from native people. Mm-hmm. And same thing when you talk about red beans. I mean, red beans and rice. Red mm-hmm. beans are native food. You know, like I said, smoked sausage. The preparation specifically of how people in Louisiana uh, smoke their meats is something that is very unique to uh, southeastern mm-hmm. uh, tribal traditions. Cool. So pretty, <laughs> yeah. pretty pervasive set of, uh, set of food, food right. items and ways. Um, and something else that I wanted to ask you about, um, it, it just, you know, is thinking about, you know, today and, and, and ways that indigenous folks and communities are claiming space um, in the city of New Orleans today, I mean, in addition to your awesome walk. Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, that was definitely part of why I wanted to do the walks like I did them was really to kind of actively reclaim uh, some of the oldest parts of the city and really kind of pick out the indigenous aspects of it and kind of identify what parts still exist or don't exist anymore Mm -hmm. that are there because of native people. Um, And it's something that a lot of us are doing a lot of things. We're organizing a lot of events. Um, There was a zine that was just released, uh, Bobancha Still a Place, which is also trying to reclaim um, a lot of native culture in this area. And a lot of it is just about um, 
really identifying the parts of Louisiana's culture that are native, mm-hmm. trying to correctly label those parts. Mm-hmm. That is a really big aspect of this. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then, um, and for folks who are interested in, in sort of plugging in and, and learning more about these efforts, what are some ways that people can find out more? Um, there are lots of things you can do. There are lots of good events that are going on all throughout the city this week. Um, in particular, I know my Facebook page that I personally use, Bulbancha, uh, decolonizing New Orleans. I often will post um, events that are going on, not just within the city, but um, other tribal events that are going on throughout the state. Mm-hmm. So if that's in- something people are interested in checking out, I try to post as much as I can there. Elena Como, thank you so very much for speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. In the Movement is recorded and produced by Theo Hilton. The views expressed on this show in no way express the position of WTUL or Tulane University. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to be on the show, please look us up on Facebook or email thilton1 at tulane.edu. Until the next time, keep moving. We'll see you in the streets.